Between the kids being home and hosting, everything in our house gets used up in summer. With Instacart, I can save money by stocking up on all my favorite summer brands. I save time by getting everything delivered in as fast as an hour. And I save myself a sink full of dirty dishes by stocking up on paper plates for the annual summer cookout. Save more on summer essentials? Spend more time enjoying summer. Add summer to cart. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome back to the final four is not on the schedule. He is Rod. I am Cam. And we are back with our preseason preview of the Big Ten. Uh, And last but not least, uh, we have Michigan State, Rod, coming in, uh, we think, at five um, in the conference, which is basically what the new Ken Palm rating had. They have them at six. They got Maryland one spot above them. Um, But as it turns out, you had these uh, projections out before the new Ken Palm came out, um, but that's all pretty close to the same. The couple different ones at the top. They got Michigan at the top, um, in Illinois, and then Purdue. Um, they got Rutgers down at eleven, where you have them a little bit further up at about yeah. Six or I, I, Michigan and Illinois should not be rated ahead of Purdue. Yes, <laughs> Ken Ken Palm's um, starting point is kind of a black box. Uh, I don't believe that's ever been laid out clearly as to exactly what he does to account for primarily for roster changes. Right. You know, it's, it's one thing to attempt to account for what a team has coming back, but, but then how are you factoring in what they've added in terms of recruiting high school players, transfers, et cetera. So Michigan, for you, clearly that's got to be a significant element because Michigan had a very highly rated class, although, as I think we talked about in our preview, I kind of question that, or at least people should not confuse it with recent classes that we've seen from Kentucky or Duke. It, it, uh-huh. it doesn't have that kind of horsepower. But I wonder if, in fact, he's – factoring it in to the Michigan projection in that fashion. Because fact mm-hmm. remains, they don't return a hell of a lot. I mean, Dickinson and, and Brooks are a great place to start, certainly, but that's two guys. They mm-hmm. lost a ton of production as we as we walked through. Now they've added guys and and you know one of them is a transfer, so you try to factor that in as a guy with actual collegiate track record, but that that's really tough. Whereas to me, you know, Purdue it's just screamingly obvious, but anyway, yeah. Michigan state being that I do have them at five. Um, I think there's a case to be made that Michigan state. Um, well, let me think about this. So we have, yeah, we have Purdue. Yeah. I, I think there's a case to be made that Michigan state, uh, Maryland and Indiana are, are and, and throwing Rutgers there too. Mm-hmm. are all kind of in a similar tier. Like I would put, I would probably put the top four teams in one tier and then the next four in a second tier. Now that doesn't mean that there won't be shifting between those tiers. In fact, I would think there will be, but, but for now I couldn't argue with anybody who had MSU seventh instead of fifth. I'm, I'm giving Michigan state benefit of the doubt. Um, 
for a couple of reasons, not least of which is their head coach. You know, I'm sorry, you match him up against anybody in this league, and he comes out on top. Yeah. And and you know, they Michigan State had their uh, kickoff press conference today, and it's been mentioned for the last few days since media got a hold of this that you know MSU is outside of the AP preseason top 25. It's only happened twice since uh, 97, 98. And the other time it happened was in the, before the 2011-2012 season. If you remember that year, that came off. Michigan State was coming off an extremely disappointing season. They had, they had been to back-to-back Final Fours, brought back Kalen Lucas and Darrell Summers, plus Chris Allen, Corey Lucius, were adding a great recruiting class headed by Keith Athlin and Adrian Payne. Mm-hmm. And everybody had them as a legit chance to win a national title. And instead, they struggled to just make the tournament. Um, and interestingly enough, lost their first round tournament game that year to UCLA, um, if you believe in parallels. <laughs> the next year, with a lot of those guys gone, you know, Appling had been pretty good as a freshman, but not dominant. Payne really didn't do very much as a true freshman. Chris Allen and Corey Lucius had not played for the team really that year. Lucius, I think, part part way into the season was dismissed. I don't think Allen ever played that last season, if I remember correctly. Um, Lucas and Summers were out of eligibility. You know, you looked at MSU's roster and it was easy to understand why they weren't that highly regarded in the preseason. Mm. Well, they, they played that opener on an aircraft carrier against a very, very good North Carolina team and lost, but played really well. They were competitive. And that's kind of how it was that team in the non-conference. If I remember correctly, they went to Spokane and beat Gonzaga on their home court. Um, That was a big win. That team played if I remember correctly, played Duke very competitively in a loss, uh, but they were they showed signs in the non-conference that they were going to be better than people expected, in large part because it was clear-cut Draymond Green's team. You know, Draymond Green had shown leadership capability from the moment he got on campus, but I think it was it was always difficult because you had guys like Lucas and um, and Summers who were a year older and you know, they had a, they had a voice too. I don't think it was as clear cut when those guys were out and it was strictly Draymond's team. Um, you saw things change mm-hmm. from the way they had been the year prior, which had been so disappointing. Um, and Michigan state won, won a share of the big 10 title. They were a number one seed and they did get beat in the sweet 16 by Louisville, which was, you know, a bit of a sour end to what was otherwise just a fantastic year. So Izzo mentioned it that, you know, in passing, he said he's, he's ticked that they're not ranked, but he understands it. But you know, the last time this happened, they were one seed. They won the big 10. He said, he's not predicting that this year and neither would I, but I also think that this Michigan state team has a legitimate chance to surprise people. I think expectations are just not that high nationally. And I think even within the fan base, I don't think people are expecting a conference title run. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not saying that I am either, but I, I don't rule anything out. 
Uh, I think this this group has the potential, if enough things break the right way, to be a title contender. They are not devoid of talent. Let's put it that way. I think yeah. if that's somebody's narrative, they're, they're sorely mistaken. There's there's legitimate talent on this team, but as we saw last season, that's not enough. It has to all fit together, and I think this team has a better chance of having the whole fit together than we what we saw last season. Mm-hmm. And there seems to be something with the culture that, that when expectations are muted to some degree, they tend to overperform. I'd agree. I'd agree. It's hard, it's hard to think. For, well, first of all, for starters, rarely are expectations not very high. So we don't get a lot of opportunities right. like this, right? Kind of, in but, com- but in in comparison, if you're doing apples yes, to oranges, you... I would ag- I would agree with that. I think that for the most part, um, on those rare occasions where expectations are not particularly high, um, Michigan State tends to play pretty well. You know, we, I mentioned that eleven twelve season because that's the closest corollary. Now, mm-hmm. the big difference is that team had Draymond Green. And I don't even just mean as a player, and obviously he had like a national player of the year caliber season. Um, but as a presence, he was so significant. This team does not have a personality within light years of his. So that's a big difference. But yeah. but it is worth noting, and there have been other years. You know, there was, there was the year where, um, again, they'd had kind of a disappointing year where they lost Mo Ager, they lost Shannon Brown, they lost Paul Davis, and it was Drew Neitzel and a recruiting class, basically, right? Yeah. Um, it was Drew Neitzel, and then, you know, he had Travis Walton still around, Drew Namick, they had some pieces, yeah. but not not a lot of star power. And and then you had freshman, Raymar Morgan was the big name. But that team, you know, beat a number one in the country, Wisconsin, uh, made the NCAA tournament, actually won a game, beating... Marquette, if I remember correctly, um, before uh, before losing in a second round game, um, so that team exceeded expectations because I think that team, you know, there were a lot of question marks as to whether that group was going to be NCAA tournament caliber. You can even go back the fourteen fifteen season. I think yeah. expectations were decent with that team in the preseason, but if you remember, they had a really rough November and December. Everybody remembers the loss to Texas Southern as kind of a low point. And there were real questions like, God, can this team even, you know, hope to get an NCAA tournament bid? Uh, and not only did they do that, they went all the way to the final four. Yeah. So I think you're, I think you're right as a general statement. Then that, that past does not perfectly predict present. Um, that's no guarantee that this team exceeds expectations in a similar fashion, but it is a historical track record to look at and at least makes you think that it's possible that this team could, could fare very well. I I'm basing it, you know, both on what I think of this roster and what they're likely to do, how they're likely to develop and also the rest of the league around them. As we've talked about going through every team in the conference, every player, um, this is a very deep league. Once again, it's got a lot of horsepower at the top. We've got, Ken Palm has them ranked as the number one conference again. Four teams in the top ten, or maybe three. I'm not sure if Ohio State's in the top ten. But but Michigan, Purdue, and Illinois are all preseason top ten. That much I know. And I believe it's uh, six 
six teams in the top 25 and Michigan state was the 26th team in, uh, in votes. Um, so yeah, it's going to be a very difficult conference to win again, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's the thing you can, you know, it's one thing when you're in that kind of league and you've got guys that are really, you know, if you had a Cassius Winston coming back, who's orchestrating, you know, and had done the things that he had done, that type of dynamic, then you could say, okay, yeah, this team probably should be considered with the true title contenders. This team doesn't have that. Um, we've got guys, young guys with a great deal of potential. We've got some veterans who we think have a chance to be significantly better than they've been. I think the biggest thing, which we're going to turn to again and again in our discussions about all of this, is that Michigan State, I think, has a chance to be much, much better at the point and we saw what happens last year when they're not very good there. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, could you credibly at this stage pick them ahead of a Purdue? I, I don't see how. No. You know, not not now. Our opinions may change come December, January, February. But but that's for, you know, that's what the season's for. Uh, so last year they go 15 and 13 well, overall. Let's, let's talk about let's talk about the staff. OK. Oh, yeah. The staff. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, you do you want to introduce it? Um, we could just clean this up. Yeah, I'll just clean it up. Yeah. Um, so, before we get into what they did last year, Rod, uh, what um, how's the staff looking? There's been a little bit of turnover, which is is different from years past. They've been what ten years now with basically almost no staff turnover whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So a little and- bit of shakeup coming into this year. Yeah, and and some of that was, I think, to be expected. Um, they had their video coordinator get an assistant's job at Eastern Michigan, understand Heath. Uh, then David Thomas elected to go into the private sector, uh, so he's no longer director of basketball operations. And, of course, as I think probably every listener knows, Dane Fife uh, decided to return to his alma mater at Indiana. And, and that was a move that I think was good with both sides. Mm-hmm. I think there was a feeling that they needed a little bit of a shakeup. Now, we knew what, what Michigan State had done uh, in terms of the names uh, earlier in this offseason. Um, they added Mark Montgomery, who had been on this, who was a player at Michigan State, obviously had been on his staff for a long time. Um, and then uh, had been the head coach for, gosh, I think it might have been a decade at Northern Illinois. Yeah, it was a while. Yeah, um, he got fired last season, did a short stint on Mike Davis's staff at Detroit, and then this offseason was added to uh, be their recruiting uh, coordinator. Uh, as Doug Wojcik had been elevated to a full-time assistant job from that position. So... Michigan State bringing names back who have been around in the past. So it's not truly fresh blood, but but new names. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then they also added a couple of more recent um, Michigan State former players to the staff. Austin Thornton, who had been a grad assistant for a while at Michigan State and then did a, a short stint, I believe, as a, a high school basketball head coach on the west side of the state, was brought in as the video coordinator and Matt McQuaid, so a very recent Spartan, yeah, um, decided to retire from his playing career, which had been overseas, uh, and 
come on board to replace David Thomas as director of basketball operations. So that we've all known since like the spring or the summer. Um, what was interesting today in Izzo's kind of season kickoff press conference was that he announced that Mike Garland, his longtime right-hand man and member of the uh, assistant coaching staff, and Mark Montgomery are switching roles, so to speak. Not perfectly. Uh, Garland is going to be special assistant to the head coach, which is, Izzo described it, is going to be a different kind of role. They're going to split the recruits. They're no longer going to have a recruiting coordinator the way they've had the last couple of years. They're going to split that role, kind of going back to the way it was previously. They're going to split that role amongst the assistants. So Garland's going to do some of that. But he's also going to be kind of a, at least the way Izzo described it, I would characterize it as a quality control guy. Mm -hmm. Um, And also kind of a liaison with MSU alums. So if guys in the NBA are struggling, Mike Garland's going to get on a plane and Uh see those guys. It's an interesting thing. It's something I haven't really heard of in the staff. Part of this is motivated. By and I think some of our listeners at least are aware of this. Mike Garland's son had a very serious health issue um, in the last last year in particular. If you remember, Garland missed some games. That was, that yeah. was why uh, he had a heart transplant, if I recall correctly. Uh, seems to be doing better, but the feeling was this would help him get off the road, spend more time at home, and yet he's still going to have an important role in what Michigan State does. Uh, whereas Mark Montgomery is now a functioning member of the staff again, fully as an assistant. Mm. Um, and I, I read Jim Comperoni mentioned that, you know, Izzo talked about how Monty is much better for having been a head coach, which stands to reason. And Jim Comperoni, uh, of Spartan mag, uh, echoed that comment and said in the practices that he had seen Montgomery was much, much more vocal, much more of a, uh, a presence, than he had been in his first stint, which again is not surprising. Once you've gone away, run your own program, you know, you're going to have a different perspective on things. Yeah. So, so a little bit of shakeup. The other interesting comment that Izzo made about this, at least interesting to me, is that he said part of the motivation for bringing back guys like Austin Thornton and Matt McQuaid is that uh, Draymond Green had mentioned to him at some point during the offseason that he thought it would be a good idea for Michigan State to get a little younger with its staff. And so um, I don't think that was an accident. It doesn't seem to be that they elected to bring back guys. And again, Matt McQuaid, you're talking about a guy who was a player as recently as the spring of 2019. Mm-hmm. So um, definitely younger. Uh, and that, 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 that stands to reason. I mean, it's, it's hard for me sometimes to reconcile it, but you know, Dwayne Stevens is, I believe, 50 now um mark montgomery is maybe 51 52 um you know mike garland is Izzo's age so he's well into his mid 60s um this is not a young staff doug wojcik has got to be in his 50s late 50s i would think um so it's a good thing i think it's a good idea to do that to bring in some some younger faces i mean i don't think the michigan state staff functions or conducts itself like an older staff they still you look at the recruiting work that they put in they they're they're out there as aggressively as they've ever been Mm -hmm. Um, and we know that you know in the day-to-day stuff practices game prep all that 
they're as aggressive as anybody. But it it makes sense, and I think was probably a really good piece of advice from Draymond Green. And so now there are some younger voices around, um, you know, particularly McQuaid. I mean, there are some guys on this team, you know. Um, played with them. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, Bainham, Brown, you know, those guys played on a team with Matt McQuaid. So anyway, so that little bit of a shakeup, um, even today, a little bit of a difference from what we thought the staff was going to look like heading into the season. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's where it stands. And I feel like, uh, maybe there is a need, um, to have somebody dedicated to past players, um, there has been some, you know, in the last year, some uh, issues. Uh, of course, we just, you know, that Keith Appling thing and uh, the the two, um, Alan Anderson and yeah, that's a weird that, that, that one's a, that one's a weird story. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, if I, can make I, to make I, I that, didn't but... hear it. it. You may be right that it ends up factoring in on those levels, but I, I didn't hear it specifically for that what i heard what i heard about from Izzo, both with the current regard to the current team and former players was was more along the lines of of mental health Izzo had mentioned he said look this is now a concern that's kind of on the front burner i'm paraphrasing but Mm -hmm. uh, more than it's ever been and they want to do everything they can to make sure both their current guys and their former guys are you know if they're if they're going through a rough patch, um, have that feeling of support right from within like the MSU community. It. Yeah, yeah. But it look it's it's obviously on on any of these respects, it's uh it's something that I think is interesting. It's forward thinking. I've never heard of a collegiate basketball staff having somebody that was a, at least in part of their job dedicated to that. Mm-hmm. So I think that's really um, that's really interesting and different. And of course, it also seems like a role that you know Mike Garland has always been kind of in that role anyway on the, of the coaches on the Michigan State staff, as I understand it. Uh-huh. You know, he's been kind of a sounding board. He's also been the guy who's been you know outside their dorm rooms at eight in the morning, making sure they're up and heading to class, um, all of those things. So. <laughs> I think he's. I think he's a good choice for it, and it seems to fit with maybe his current needs. Mm. You know. Okay. Um, so last season they go fifteen and thirteen, uh, nine and eleven in the Big Ten, and they of course they lose to UCLA in the play-in game. Um, they finish sixty fourth in Ken Palm overall, ninety eight on offense, forty five in defense, um, and yet there was still some good things to pull out of last year i mean they showed a lot of grit coming down the stretch just to make the tournament uh which was almost a mini miracle in itself uh beating just two huge three actually three humongous teams coming down the stretch what was kind of your overall take on last year i think given i think we all and i'll include myself in this we all severely undersold two things i think one was the difficulty that uh msu would have at the point yeah and and really it took until 
late in the season for them to kind of sort that out. The way they sorted it out was they just didn't play through the point very much. They played through Aaron Henry. Mm-hmm. Um, the second thing, though, which ties in with the first, is I think I'll speak just for myself. I severely undersold the impact that COVID had. Um, this team needed a full off season because Rocket Watts was not able to make that transition as smoothly as we thought he might. Mm-hmm. And and so because of that, they needed that offseason. One, that offseason might have put him in a better position to play more effectively. But even if it didn't, they would have realized it sooner, and I think they would have been able to make adjustments sooner to that, which they eventually did, as we said. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, playing through Aaron Henry with more regularity it was the obvious fix and it's the one they eventually landed on once it was just determined definitively they just didn't have you know rocket was not a point guard hogard was not ready lawyer was hurt and it really took him out of the equation um and and so that was the right move you mentioned those wins late i i would say this what i will remember from last season is not so much the loss to ucla yes that was extremely disappointing and you know people can look at it and say well look ucla won that game and they it was a springboard to the final four i i don't know that i believe michigan state would have been able to do the same thing Mm -hmm. but um i think the way they closed last season being in in a nearly impossible situation i mean let's be quite honest i think you and i both had kind of resigned ourselves to the fact that they're not going to make the tournament because it was just the the path was so difficult. Yeah. And and they went out and beat three top five teams during that end of the season stretch. They beat Illinois, they beat Ohio state, they beat Michigan. Mm -hmm. Um, Extremely impressive to do that. Even more so when you had to feel the pressure of not just playing that caliber of opponent, but knowing that you had to beat them, mm-hmm. which is really the way it was. I mean, that's where Michigan State was down the stretch. They had to win those games, and, and they found a way, despite a um, a disjointed, kind of limited roster in some ways, they managed to do it. Izzo mentioned that today's press conference as well, that you know they could look at that and use it for this team. They can also look at that loss to UCLA, where, remember, they had the lead and and gave it away and gave it away late with some really um, with a lot of lack of attention to detail, you know, not screening on missed free throws, um, you know, uh, blown assignments and, and blown switches defensively, you know, those types of things that Michigan State teams usually excel at in big moments. Last year's team did. And so he can use that as a teaching tool as well. Yeah. Uh, so players, they lose. Aaron Henry, um, he did not get drafted, um, unfortunately, but he did get signed with a two-way contract with the Sixers. Um, and it looks like he's going to make the team. Is that what you understand? Yeah, and I think he will. I think he will be. It'll. It'll probably be 
much as it was for somebody like Cassius Winston last year. Mm-hmm. It'll be an up-and-down season. He'll bounce between the Sixers roster and the G League. That's what I would expect. But, yeah, I, I'm not surprised. I mean, look, Aaron has obvious deficiencies, but he also has very obvious strengths. For the modern game in particular, extremely versatile defensively. He's strong, um, extremely athletic. Uh, despite the fact that people get zeroed in on the turnovers via the dribble, the fact is he sees the floor extremely well. He's a good passer. Mm-hmm. So there are strengths that you can build on with Aaron Henry. So it does not surprise me that he's found his way into that situation. Yeah. I would have been more surprised if it had gone the other way and he didn't get offered a two-way deal. Yeah. I, I mean, I, when I looked and saw the, some of the people that were drafted ahead of him, I was starting yeah. to become shocked at the, by was, the end of that draft. Was, I agree. I agree. It was strange. I was surprised. Because, especially because what you know, we were just talking about it. What Aaron did late in the season, to me, should have answered a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. Because he was, you know, at times he was physically and and in every other way dominant on the court for Michigan State when they were in that stretch run. And when you can put a a flawed team on your back and kind of will them to victory, and he did, that ought to say a lot Mm. about what you are. Um, You know, I thought on balance Aaron Henry had a really nice senior year. That's how I would characterize it. Yeah, um, 15.4 points a game last year, 45 from the floor, 30 from three, and 76 from the line. Uh, and he led them in rebounding at 5.6 a game and in assists with 101 um, right. to 80 turnovers. Right. And, yeah, those turnover numbers are much higher than you'd want. But how many guys are out there leading an NCAA tournament team in scoring rebounds and assists? <laughs> and And they're also your best defensive player. Yeah. Yeah. who could truly guard at times, guarded one through five. Yep. I mean, I always go back to the stretch run in that Ohio State game Against West. where they just switched him on to Liddell. No, or Liddell. Liddell, Liddell, I'm sorry. Right. Uh, that, to me, was um, really something, you know, and, and demonstrated clearly how versatile of a player defensively Aaron Henry was. Yep. Um, so then uh, – they also lose Rocket Watts to the transfer portal. Um, he winds up going to Mississippi State. Um, and, you know, 7.7 7 points a game, 34 from the floor, 25 from three, 78 from the line. Uh, he, he struggled last year. That, that'd <laughs> be putting it mildly. Yeah. I, I think, you know, it's unfortunate. And, and I hope for him that he kills it at Mississippi state. I think they'll be able to use him in a way that fits a little more with his game. You know, I kind of, I kind of ran the gamut with rocket Watts. When I watched him in high school and would hear people try to sell him as a point guard, I, I didn't buy in because I never saw examples of the instincts or the mentality for it. And then I watched him as a freshman at Michigan State. And if you remember, there were times during Cassius's last season where Rocket would function as the backup. Yeah. And he looked pretty good. 
I saw examples of instincts that I didn't believe previously he had possessed. And I, you know, I never, I never thought that he was going to be um, Cassius Winston, certainly. But look, Michigan State has succeeded in the past with attacking, scoring guys as lead guards. Kalen Lucas is a, the best example. Keith Applin was a good example. Marcus Taylor had some of that in him, although I would, I would say that Marcus had a little more of a true point guards game to him. But you get my point. Mm. They've had guys who generally fit that profile in the past. And I really began to believe Rocket could pull that off. And it was obvious fairly early on. I think he got off to an okay start, but then not long after that, it became obvious that it was just eating him up. Yeah. And I think the, 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 the thing that shocked me was that, you know, you could cite, you cited all the numbers. Those are all offensive numbers. And yeah, you know, he struggled shooting. That was a bit of a surprise because if you remember, he had been really bad early on as a freshman, but over the last 10 games or so of that season, he was very, very good. And I figured, okay, he sorted it out. Well, not the case. Um, but throughout his freshman season, even when he was struggling with a shot, he was a rock defensively. Mm-hmm. He was in the upper, upper echelon of freshman guards from a defensive point of view that Izzo's ever had. I would have put him very much in the same conversation with guys like Charlie Bell, Travis Walton. I'm not saying he was better than them, but he was in that group. He was in that conversation, Appling. Um, last year, there were times where he was terrible, especially early. And I have to believe it was a mental thing with him. He was being so eaten up by the difficulties that he was having as a point guard that it affected him on the defensive end. And that will happen to guys, mm. you know? Um, but that was the most surprising thing and the most disappointing thing in a season that was pretty much all disappointments. The one thing I will say, uh, if you want to have one lasting positive memory of Rocket Watts, Michigan state tenure, I would say it's this, uh, do not forget that in a game they had to have at Breslin against Michigan and the way Michigan, by virtue of the way, Juwan Howard plays the pick and roll. Um, he shacks it, or at least he was with Hunter Dickinson. Um, so th- there were going to be shot opportunities there mm-hmm. for the guard, for the guy at the top of the pick and roll. And we had said leading into that game, Rocket Watts has got to make shots. He's got to hit those shots to keep Michigan honest and take it maybe even more to the point, take advantage of what Michigan is giving. And Michigan was clearly going to give Michigan State the free throw line or inside the arc, at least, jumper. And Rocket Watts buried a number of them. Mm-hmm. He had, his, I think, his best game of the season. Michigan State doesn't win it without him playing that well. Um, so that, to me, was the, the big positive thing you could walk away with from last season for him. But, yeah, it was a big-time struggle, and let's hope for his sake that he finds his game again at Mississippi State. Yeah. Uh, and then Josh Langford, which was a, a bright spot um, once it was all said and done. Major victory just getting to return to play after a season and a half yeah. missed with injury. 
Uh, he winds up averaging 9.7 points a game, 38 from the floor, 34 from three, 75 from the line. Uh, he had 3.6 rebounds a game, steady defense. And the most incredible thing is he averaged 28 minutes a game. Yeah, that that really was remarkable. To the average, that kind of, of playing time um, was really something else mm. uh, from him. And, and look... The shooting numbers were not as good as what we'd hoped. You know, he had come into the season a career 40% plus shooter for three. It was a bit under that. I think some of that was the role he had to play on the team. They just needed him to take more shots. Um, and uh, and so sometimes that's going to that's gonna lower your percentage because your volume has gone up. You can't be as selective. Um, but I think just that where would they have been without him? Yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, because remember, heading into last season, it was real. And I know I said this. I would have taken the Kyle Arns minutes, the, you know, 13 to 15 minutes a night. I Coming into the season, if you told me that's what he's going to give you, I would have taken it. And he gave them massively, massively more. Right. So I think you have to be thankful for him that he had the opportunity to go out on his own terms that he stayed healthy, and he was an important part of a team that kept the streak alive. That's what I walk away from. He's also, uh, you know, he could have come back this year and elected not to. Uh, instead, he was, this was just announced within the last two, three weeks, that uh, the Broad College of Business uh, hired him as, um, I believe, a program, coordinator. A, a program coordinator position for, um, an outreach program they have to uh, accelerate and assist uh, diversity in business. So a, a great start, hopefully, to his professional career. You know, the very few guys that ever had, I think, the respect of the coaching staff and the teammates and broadcasters that would come in the way that Josh did for the kind of person he was and, and God, the perseverance. Mm-hmm. I mean, he missed a year and a half of basketball. And the real shame of it is that when he got hurt, he was playing the best basketball of his career. Yeah. We told we totally forget that because it was after he got hurt that Cassius Winston elevated from really good player to the Pantheon, to all-timer, right? But we forget that up to that point, it was kind of the Cassius and Josh show, mm-hmm. co-billing. And, and then he got hurt, and it was it, it it definitely made an impact on, you know, a trajectory that I think you know who knows Josh may have had NBA possibilities mm-hmm. with the way he was playing, um, but I, obviously this is still going to be a guy who is a success in life, um, and uh, it's great to see him still around on campus yeah. in that new role. Yeah. Uh, and then Foster Lawyer, he transfers out to Davidson. Uh, yeah, you know, his final season was limited with injury. Uh, 4.2 points a game, 29 from the floor, 33 from three, 88 from the line. Yeah, I, I discount those numbers because if you remember, Foster had that, that opening game against Eastern Michigan where he was just blistering, led them in scoring. Yeah. And, and it at a certain point, I forget where it was. It might have even been as early as that Northwestern game. I can't remember for sure. But he got a shoulder injury. And he tried to fight through it. 
but when your shoulder is hurting, you're not going to be able to shoot. And I think that's really what happened with him is uh, he wasn't able to hit shots because he was physically not right. And then it was shut down and he didn't really, I forget at what point the season was shut down for him, but it was not that deep into big 10 play. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this was the good move for him. Uh, you know, Davison, you're still talking about the Atlantic 10. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see what kind of role he plays for them. Uh, but I think if Foster's healthy, he's capable of helping a team like that. Certainly as a shooter. Yeah. Uh, and then Kithier, he transfers out to Valpo, averaging 2.4 points a game, two point two and a half rebounds on 65% shooting from the floor, 77 from the line. Yeah, he goes to Valpo again, going a level down um, into the uh, into the horizon, and I would expect he'll have a chance to help them in a role. I think the, the writing was on the wall that with, uh, especially late in the season with the way Marcus Bainham kind of elevated his play and you started to see maybe a little bit more Batty Sissoko. It was becoming clear that the minutes for Thomas were probably going to be limited. Um, so again, probably the right move that the big question for me is with the last two guys we've talked about gone, uh, the whipping boy choice for this season for the Michigan state fan base is going to be very interesting because there aren't obvious candidates. You know, the no. guys who have sucked up all that oxygen for the last three years, Lawyer and Kithier are gone. So it'll be interesting to me who becomes that. <laughs> and, I, and I say that facetiously. I, I yeah. actually am not even remotely interested. <laughs> yeah. uh, all right, so the guys they got coming back. Uh, Gabe Brown, named co-captain this year. 6'8", senior, averaged 7.2 points a game, 2.7 rebounds, 47 from the floor, 42 from three, and 88 from the line last year. Yeah, you know, um, look, the tools are there with Gabe. That's never been a doubt. Very good athlete, you know, 6'8", with like 7'1", wingspan. Mm -hmm. Um, I think he's made real improvement as a shooter because when I saw him in high school in AAU, Gabe was not yet what I would call a great shooter. What he was was a streakily effective shooter. He was the kind of guy, and he was renowned for this in AAU, playing for the family. He would have a game where he'd go score like 25 points Mm -hmm. and hit, you know, six threes. And then the next game, he'd score one. It was very much up and down. over his time at Michigan State, I think he has developed into a guy that you can count on as a shooter. Yeah. If he gets clean shot, clean looks and good shot opportunities, he's going to hit them. And, you know, those numbers last year on a team that really shot the ball poorly, boy, they needed every bit of what they got out of him. Mm-hmm. So the shooting's not in question. And I think on a team that, as we're going to talk about, stands to have markedly improved play at the point. I think the shot opportunities, both in terms of quality and frequency are going to be there. Mm-hmm. So that's encouraging. Um, at times you saw development from Gabe last season in terms of finding other ways to score. I think he needs to be a consistent presence on the wing, running the floor and transition. That's another area. I think Michigan state's going to be a lot better. 
Um, but he also can and needs to do more in the half court mm. to find ways to score inside the arc. And he's shown flashes, but he needs to show more than flashes. Yeah. Uh, but I think the biggest thing we need to see from Gabe Brown, and Izzo touched on it today, for growth in his game to go from becoming a guy who's been a piece for three years, especially the last two, to a centerpiece is he's got to be a force defensively and as a rebounder. Mm -hmm. And he has the potential to do both at a high level. He has not done both consistently at a high level. That rebounding number, what was it, 2.7? Yeah. No. That's got to be higher. And with Aaron Henry gone especially, it's got to be higher. Mm -hmm. Has to be. You know, one area that I think Michigan State in recent years has just not been as good as the program standard is, is in wing rebounding. And they just lost their best wing rebounder by far in Aaron Henry. So how do they replace that? Well, Gabe Brown has to be a significant piece of that answer. He has to be. Mm -hmm. And he can be. There have been times where we've seen him in games just go get balls in a way that nobody else on the floor can match because he's tall, he's very long, and he's athletic. But he's got to show that want to all the time, not just occasionally. Defensively, again, your best perimeter defender is gone. You've got basically two freshmen that are the other pure wings. They'll they'll mix and match some other guys in there, Malik Call, maybe Hogard, but uh, and and Aikens will too. So the three freshmen really. Um, Gabe Brown as a senior has to take ownership of that. He's got to be consistently better, and there's no good reason why he shouldn't be better. Mm-hmm. So I'm hopeful that this is going to be a season to remember for him. And he's really going to elevate step forward into that role. Um, but he's got to do it. He's got to actually go out on the floor and do it night in night out. Yeah. I mean, in some ways he reminds me of Aaron Henry, uh, especially early in Henry's career where just kind of out of nowhere, you'll just see this unbelievable play where it like, where it's just like all hell breaks loose and like almost like an arms play or something where he just, puts everything on the line to go after a dunk or a rebound. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's there. You know what I mean? I, I, I'm definitely excited to see what he can do. Yeah, well, and that's a, you know, that's a good comparison. I think Aaron Henry, although it won't be taken as this because the team didn't really excel, um, Aaron Henry largely, if you look at the season he had, pretty much did the things – that Michigan state needed from him to elevate his play and to consistently be their best player. Mm -hmm. The the only area where I think he really maybe came up short is you could have hoped he would have shot the three a little better, but even that wasn't a big problem. Um, He largely hit the mark. Gabe Brown now is in that position where he needs to do that. Can he elevate his play consistently in ways that Aaron Henry did and other guys before him have? You know, I go back to guys like, you know, Travis Trice, good player, useful player for three years, became more than that as a senior. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, Drew Neitzel did it as a junior, but, you know, and I'm not saying he's going to have a season like those guys had, but you get my point. Yeah. He's a veteran 
on a team that really needs him to be a consistent answer mm-hmm. for them in in all ways, not just hitting threes. Uh, so then uh, Joey Hauser comes back. Um, first season with MSU, I think overall was a little bit of a disappointment. Uh, he transferred in from Marquette, averaged nine point seven points a game, five point six rebounds, um, but forty eight from the floor, thirty four from three, seventy two from the line. And at one point, got pulled from the starting lineup for a little while. Um, yeah, and and rightly so. Mm-hmm. You know, um, look, there's no question he had a disappointing season. Izzo even used that word today. And we're recording this just to let people know. I've been referencing this press conference. Uh, you're not going to hear this until later, but uh, we're recording this on uh, what was it? Wednesday, the 20th. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a disappointing season because expectations were really high and they were high in part because of what Michigan state had seen at practice every day for a year. Yeah. But you know, what was different about that? Cassius Winston was out there and he was able to play at times, at least with Cassius Winston mm-hmm. in practices. And then when, when he was actually on the floor in games, well, there's no Cassius Winston. There's no point guard. I think Joey Hauser is right at the top of the list of guys that stand to benefit greatly from improved point guard play. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's an obvious statement, but I think it's also obviously true. Um, he struggled, I think, in part offensively because he was not playing with guys who understood how to play pick and roll, pick and pop basketball and get a shooter, the ball. It's a subtle thing, man. Mm. It's not even just about time. It's also about where you're receiving a pass as a shooter, because if you get the ball in your shooting pocket, it shortens the amount of time you have that you need for release. It's also going to lead to you hitting a, a higher percentage of the shots that you take. There's no doubt about any of that. So if he's now playing with guys that are better in those areas of the game, it stands to reason that he should be better overall as a shooter. Hmm. And I think he will be. I think he's going to be um, a factor for Michigan State offensively more consistently than he was last year. Now, let's not forget, Joey Hauser had some really good games. He was I remember yeah. he was really good in a loss against Wisconsin. Yep. Um, and, you know, had some other games where he was very effective. So, you know, make no mistake. It wasn't a disaster of a season. It's just, we were talking about a kid who, you know, seemed to be the question, the biggest question seemed to be, will he play more than one year? Mm-hmm. And, you know, that got answered, but, um, you know, I, I don't write off the fact that Joey Hauser could be significantly better as a scorer and as a rebounder too. He was actually one rebound behind Aaron Henry for the team lead. Mm-hmm. Um, they need him to be a factor. This is a team that by Michigan state standards was abysmal rebounding the ball last season. He needs to be part of the Renaissance <laughs> in Spartan rebounding. But all of that said for, for all of those things to happen, What's got to come to fruition for Joey Hauser 
is he's got to find a way to be at least passable defensively. There were way too many times last season where Joey Hauser simply could not defend well enough to stay on the floor. And when you talk about him being removed from the starting lineup or seeing his minutes decline, you know, it was a big part of that was the fact that he couldn't check and Malik Hall can. Mm -hmm. And we know how Tom Izzo plays basketball, right? How his teams play. If you can guard, you're going to see the floor. And if you can't, it's going to be tough for you. And that's what we saw, I think, with Joey Hauser. So I'm not saying he's going to be or needs to turn into Xavier Tillman. That's not what has to happen. But he's got to be, he's got to get to the point that he's not a liability. Now, I've, I've seen some talk about something that I spent some time talking about early last season before it just became obvious that the problems were greater than this. I've seen some talk getting back to this idea MSU may use some lineups where Malik is a four and Joey is at the five. I do think that would give Hauser a better chance of hanging defensively, Mm -hmm. but only, only to a degree because in a league that's filled with just behemoths, you know, Coburn, um, uh, the kids at Purdue, both of them, um, Dickinson, you know, on and on. I don't know that I believe Joey can really guard those guys effectively in the post. I would take my chances with Marcus Bingham's length or Maddie Sissoko's length, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, but it, but it's a counter. It's something that Michigan State could go to at the other end maybe to make those teams pay. Yeah, he almost you know? almost falls into almost a little bit of like a tweener. Um, yes, I agree. And that's the problem defensively. Yeah, is that you know you question is he is he good enough in terms of moving his feet to really guard modern fours, and then if you're playing him at the five in this league at least, um, where where low post play and legitimate old school size is very much a factor, can he do? I, I think he can hang in pick and roll against fives, but. You know, or at least Not potentially like can, but in the post, Kofi. I don't know. <laughs> so I think it depends, you know, but the other way to look at it is, okay, if they if they play him at that spot and if he's having a good season shooting the ball, then you're going to torture the other team by forcing those giant guys to try to extend themselves defensively, right? Yeah. So it becomes a mix and match. My 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 hesitation on that is that is not, a dynamic that Izzo is known for working. That that's a that's a John Beeline dynamic. That's not typically the way Tom Izzo looks at the game. Yeah. And says, well we'll give up things potentially on defense, but we'll win that exchange with what Joey can do offensively against those guys. That's not usually how he looks at the game. Mm-hmm. So but anyway, I mention it because it's been out there. Yeah. Uh so then Malik Hall, six eight junior who's the co captain um along with Gabe, uh Five points a game, 4.2 rebounds, 49 from the floor, 36 from 370 from the line. Uh, You know, with Malik, I honestly think it mostly comes down to finding ways to impose himself on games consistently because the tools are there. He has probably the best opportunity of anybody on the Michigan State roster, certainly the front court, 
to be a complete impact player. Mm. He's capable of doing everything you need a guy to do. He can rebound at both ends. He can defend everybody, versatile defender. He's going to take that that role over from Aaron Henry, I think, as a guy who Michigan State looks to as kind of their their Swiss Army knife defensively. Uh-huh. And I think he's up to it. Um, you mentioned the 36% from three. He's actually shown an ability to shoot the perimeter jumper. He's just got to do it more consistently, you know, take shots more consistently. Hmm. Good passer. I mean, all the tools are there. There's nothing you look at with Malik Hall and say, well, that's a weakness. That's a thing he really doesn't do very well, except that I don't think he produced enough to, to be a guy you feel um, really comfortable in saying, well, he's going to give us X and Y every night. Hmm. You know, I, I do think, let's put it this way, knowing what I know about Tom Izzo, Unless Joey Hauser really shows some improvement at the defensive end, I'm not going to be surprised if we see Malik Hall starting at times this year. One thing Izzo did say today that I did find interesting was he said, you know, it's not even just about the talent of the two guys. It's also about the roles. Which of those guys plays better and feels more comfortable coming off the bench? And that might be Malik Hall. You know, it might be that he psychologically, mentally, is better able to handle that than Hauser. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but that uh, he's going to be a big part of what they do regardless. Yep. Uh, and then Bingham comes back for a senior year, seven footer, 3.5 points a game, 3.2 rebounds, and uh, just 1.3 blocks a game in 11.4 minutes. Yeah. I, I think it's an, it's an easy call but not one you have 100% confidence in that Marcus Bingham could be, in a production sense, their most improved player. Um, we know the potential has always been there. And I think over the last eight games or so last season, yeah, yeah. you finally started to see it come to fruition on a consistent basis. He was an important part of that run yeah. that they made. He didn't put up massive numbers, but they were consistently there his production and his presence made Michigan state different defensively. And this was a, by Michigan state standards, this was a terrible defensive team. Mm-hmm. It was still top 50 nationally, but I think it was eighth in the big 10, something like that. So that's, that's not Michigan state basketball, you know? And part of that was because of that revolving door at the five, they never got consistency there. And then Marcus Bingham finally gave them some consistency. Uh, he's gotten really good reviews from Izzo in his offseason. Now, he hasn't gotten massively bigger. He's never been able to add bulk. And, and you know, you have hopes that guys will be able to do that. Some guys, just no matter what they try, they never can. Um, Bingham seems to fall into that category. But he has gotten bigger. He has gotten stronger, which is a more important part. But I think he's also figured out, and this is what we saw over that stretch run, I think. I think he's finally figured out how to use what he has, you know, whatever it is, 7'3", seven, 7'4", seven, wingspan, mm-hmm. um, decent ability to react quickly. Um, he's been able to use his strengths to offset 
maybe some of the weaknesses and still find himself in, in spots where he can be productive. And, and that's what he was last season. That's what he needs to be this year. I, I think for Michigan state, for this team to be at their best, I think you want to see Marcus Bingham be about a 20 minute a night guy. Mm -hmm. That's almost double the minutes he played last season. He's never proven able to give them that kind of consistency over the course of his career in terms of playing those minutes. His conditioning has improved. I think his game has improved. And I think you're, I think you're talking about a guy who's ready to take that leap. Mm. If he can, if he can give them that kind of playing time, he's going to make things very different for opponents trying to score against Michigan State because he is a legitimate rim protector. I think he's also become a much better, more reliable rebounder than he used to be. Mm-hmm. You know, he doesn't get the ball knocked away in traffic the way that it used to happen because he's gotten a little stronger. Um, we've seen him be an occasional factor as an offensive rebounder, right? Kind of swooping in, also in transition, too, because he's got an ability to move, mm-hmm. uh, to run the floor, come out of, you know, kind of come out of your screen and come streaming in on a missed shot dunk. And, and get a dunk. <laughs> right. Um, the the offensive question mark, I think, is the jumper. This is something that absolutely was part of his game as a high school player. Mm-hmm. And in very limited attempts, he shot it very well as a freshman. And then the last two years, it's largely disappeared. The, the word is that it's going to come back at least early. Um, we'll see how well he shoots it. If he can shoot the three with some level of consistency, that would be a big, big positive for this team. I'm not talking about him as, you know, a guy who's going to hit two or three of them a night. It's not mm-hmm. that. But it would just give Michigan State an added weapon and an element that allows them to stretch the floor and force defenses to distort in ways that they don't want to. Mm-hmm. You know, if you've got a Marcus Bainham who could even hit like low thirties from three, yeah, man, against some of these teams with size in the Big Ten, that could be a problem for them. You know what I'd like to see from him is maybe with a little bit of strength that comes around this year is a little bit of work on the block. I mean, something yeah. where, where if he can if he can maintain position a little deeper than he's been able to in the past, rather than getting it and maybe doing some of this like turnaround jumpers that we've seen and stuff. He's able to get a quick, maybe turnaround hook, baby hook kind of deal, you know, closer to the rim. Yep. He's got good hands. He's got good uh, coordination. I mean, there's no reason why fairly close to the rim, he should be able to come up with some moves, you know, he showed signs of it last year. I'm I'm just not sure that I ever see Marcus Bainham as a consistent post threat, but could you get him for occasional post touches? Yes. It, it does bring to mind the one other thing, and it's about him maybe as much as anybody. Michigan State last year had a lot of problems offensively, not, mm-hmm. not least of which was the fact that they went from being a tremendously good pick-and-roll team to one that got very, very little out of that. Yeah. And it comes back to point guard play, right? Marcus Bainham could be an absolute weapon if that kind of connection between he and the guys who are going to play the point, I've got one mostly in mind, but let's say two, Mm -hmm. um, 
are, are in sync because Marcus Bainham has all that length and we've seen him at times be very effective diving to the rim. Yeah. That could be an area where he makes a real impact as, as defenses are forced to choose. Mm-hmm. Just locating you know? it, high pointing it and dunking yep. it and flushing. Yeah. It. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So all things to watch for, but I think, you know, look, it, it starts with how many minutes can he give you? How much does Izzo trust him? Mm-hmm. What do you think? I mean, what 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 would be your ideal amount of minutes for him? 20. 20? 20. Yeah, because at 20, you know, then you could take the other half and split those up between, you know, Marble, um, who has strengths and deficiencies of his own, which we'll touch on. You know, Sissoko maybe gives you a few turns. And then um, and then you've got uh, maybe this small ball lineup with Hauser mm-hmm. for, you know, five minutes or something. I think that's a realistic number. If it's higher, hey, God bless. That's great. Yeah. But I would like to think about 20 for Marcus as a good target. All right. Uh, so then Julius Marble, 6'8", junior. A um, little bit of an inconsistent season last year, but he did show flashers. I mean, uh, outstanding in that Duke game. Um, but average four points a game, 2.1 rebounds, 58% from the floor, 68 from the line. Um, yeah, you know, look, offense is not where you have the issues with Julius Marble. He's actually the one guy on this team that legitimately can be a post scorer. Yeah. And and he's also got a better than you might think mid-range game. He's pretty effective on those 12 to 15 foot face-up jumpers. Yeah, yeah, he hits. Um, so again, he's a guy with the right point guard might be a lot better than we've seen in terms of his ability to impact the game offensively via the pick and roll. Um but <laughs> he has been pretty bad over his career at MSU his first 2 years on the defensive end and as a rebounder. And you can't be those things and play a lot, play a big, big role at Michigan State. You just can't. Mm-hmm. Now, Izzo says he's pushing Bingham. Izzo today said uh, the only two spots in the starting lineup that are locked are on the wings. So he insists there's still a battle at the point. There's the Hauser-Hall dynamic at the four. Um, and then there's the five spot. I don't believe that. I think it's going to be Marcus Bingham. But what I'm interested in is, can Julius Marble be an effective, say, you know, 10-minute, 12-minute-a-night guy? Mm-hmm. Because he has not been that entirely throughout his career. He's had games like that Duke game where, for whatever reason, they're unable to make him pay defensively and he just gets on a roll on offense. And he has offensive ability. There's no doubt about it. But yeah. can he do enough of the other things? And the, and the rebounding, to me, Somehow, and I don't know how much better he can get, but he's got to find a way to get better. Mm. Has to. Um, they they cannot afford to play him major minutes, not being a presence on the glass, and he just has not been. He's, and I'm afraid he's got that some the physical of physical tools to do it. He, well, he's got the body where it looks like he should do it. What I've been disappointed by is there are guys who, for whatever reason, just instinctively. Mm-hmm. do not have what it takes to rebound. And that means having a sense of timing, just kind of knowing where the ball's going, 
having a motor they keep moving yeah um all of those things that are are kind of intangible i don't know how readily you can improve them um and and unfortunately julius is not big enough like i'll I'll give you an example luca garza i don't think was very good in most of those ways Mm -hmm. like i don't think he had great instincts he certainly didn't move well enough he was never a range rebounder blah 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 but he could still be effective because he was so big. Marble's also undersized for the position. Yeah, he's strong, but he's realistically he's about six seven. So he's not big enough against most certainly most Big Ten teams where he can just carve out position and okay, just because he's so big, he's gonna get, you know, just six, seven rebounds a night. It doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. So he's gotta find a way to be better in that area. Uh, and then Matty Sissoko, 6'8", long-arm freshman, um, who clearly is physically a freak of nature. Uh, of course, the COVID restrictions uh, really hurt him in terms of yeah. getting up to speed on things. Only wound up averaging 1.1 points a game, 1.8 rebounds, 59% from the floor, 44 from the line. Just not a, a whole lot of time, but Rod, when he's in there, you can just the eye test is there. That guy's you. You know he's out there. Yes, yeah. I agree. You know he brings them physical tools. So he's another guy. He might be six seven, six eight, but unlike Marvel, he plays a lot bigger because his wingspan is like seven foot plus. Yeah, I think I want to say it's like seven three, seven four. So that's not a concern. He can legit play the five, and he's strong. He's well put together, um, very athletic, but he's got a nastiness to him <laughs> yeah. that they don't have. <laughs> yeah. And so that as much as anything is why I'm pulling for him to be a guy who emerges, you know, mm-hmm. and, and can earn his way into consistent minutes. Um, there's not as, there's not a lot of talk about him in the preseason, which I find curious. It also doesn't necessarily mean much. You know, Izzo does a lot of things in terms of um, what's called motivation. If you're less charitably inclined, mind games, you know, mm-hmm. those kinds of things. But to me, especially later in the year, Maddie was showing up and you know, not big contributions, but would show a flash or two every time he played. And, and I want to believe that having a full off season would have been beneficial for him to play a bigger role. Um, we will see if that happens, but I still think he's got upside. I thought he showed some potential as a post player. Uh, I don't think his shot release, his free throw percentage was horrible, but I I don't think his shot release looks bad. Mm -hmm. Um, and again, we talk about his, his physical tools and his mentality, you know, you, you are talking about a guy who's got some potential. How much of it we see come together this year, I, I think that remains to be seen. But but what this should be an example of, and, and Bingham's career is this way too. Both of those guys were top 50-ish recruits. Bingham might have been slightly outside of the top 50, might have been top 60. Um, and you look at their career trajectories. The point is, with big men, it is really, really difficult because most of the time, you are projecting based on potential, based on physical tools, which both of those guys have. How quickly those tools translate into on-court production, 
is very much a crapshoot. Mm-hmm. So we'll see with, with both of them. Obviously, Marcus is a little further along. But I'm, I'm still optimistic about Matty. I, I, I hope that as the season goes along, we see more of him. Because I, I think he can bring with his attitude and his toughness, I think he can bring some things that they lack. Yeah. And this is a, a guy who's very valuable for practicing. I mean, sure. if you're having to go up against that guy, oh, it's going to be a long day. I know this much. If he truly is their third string center, I don't think there's anybody in the Big Ten, maybe outside of Purdue, that has a better third string center. Yeah. For whatever that's worth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then A.J. Hogard, 6'4", freshman guard. Well, you'd be sophomore this year. Uh, 2.5 points a game, 31 from the floor, 17 from 360 from the line. Um, third on the team in, in assists. We saw him get the start for a little while uh, last year. Um, struggled a bit. But sounds like he's uh, got some pretty good reviews coming in to this season. Izzo's been talking very positively about him. Um, and he portrays the point guard position as one where there's uh, a real battle. Mm-hmm. And Hogard is in it. Uh, given how Tom Izzo has operated in the past, it would not shock me to see A.J. Hogard start opening night against Kansas. Um, look, I'm not a believer. I think I've been pretty clear about that. Um, we will see what we we find out once the games start. And, and we see... Um, how much he's improved. His body has improved. So that's true. I don't, I don't doubt that. I, my, my questions about him are, I, I think he's limited athletically and some at least of his skill set is limited as well. In other words, he was a terrible shooter last year. So if you're not an athlete and you're not able to impact a game as a shooter, how are you helping? Mm-hmm. Now, Izzo made a comment today that he's been running the break in practice as well as any point guard they've had since Mateen. Um, I'm going to chalk that up to the occasional hyperbole that we hear from Tom Izzo. And again, getting back to the, the, the motivational games that he's known to play time from time to time mm-hmm. with his roster. Um, I was not impressed with A.J. Hogard's instincts as a distributor. I, I, I would love to be, have people coming at me mm-hmm. about this. And it's not like I haven't been wrong before. I, I've, I've said this often. I thought Draymond Green, when he was recruited, was a guy without a position at the collegiate level. Well, yeah, instead he, what he did is he, not just at the collegiate level, but at the pro level, he made positions irrelevant. <laughs> <laughs> so it shows, it shows what I know, but, um, and look, Tom Izzo offered this kid, recruited him, has him on his roster. He knows more than any, than me, you, and all of our listeners combined and tenfold mm-hmm. on top of that. So can A.J. Hogarth be a guy who helps his team? Yeah, I can't rule that out. I'm not a believer in that. And my the only thing that makes me think that he probably is in the rotation regardless is that 
I don't know that they want to overload Jade Nakins by, by having him play any point guard. That They may be a little bit gun-shy about that mm-hmm. after the Rocket Watts experience, although I, I happen to think Akins is a much more natural fit for that role. But um, that might be why, you know. Yeah, the one thing I did find kind of fascinating with Hogard was uh, he was able to rebound uh, at, for a point guard fairly well. Well, he's um, big. Yeah, I mean, he's a big physical kid, and you know, you make you make a point. If, if he could do that consistently, you know, as I've I've, been, I've talked about this many many times over the last few years, perimeter rebounding for Michigan State has not been as good as it used to be. Mm-hmm. in recent years and if he could do that consistently then maybe you know maybe that earns him a role i don't know yeah. um look i don't want to be negative about this on a on a season preview thing i mean is there is there a way that aj hogard is a productive contributing member of this roster yes i, I suppose so i just personally do not have a lot of faith in it i i need to be convinced by actual production and if you, you know, where, the way I feel about it is the way that I think some other Michigan State fans felt about Foster Lawyer for the last few years. Mm-hmm. Is they look at the negatives and they're so convinced that those negatives just obliviate any potential positives. Um, that's where I sit with AJ Hogard, but that doesn't mean I'm going to be right. Mm-hmm. I hope I'm not. Okay, so newcomers. Uh... The big one, uh, Tyson Walker, six foot transfer point guard out of Northeastern. Um, I mean, this is a big uh, land for them, especially when you look at what happened with the point guard situation last year. Uh, at Northeastern, he averaged eighteen point eight points a game, forty four from the floor, thirty five from three, seventy seven from the line, four point eight assists, um, two to one assist to turnover ratio, defensive player of the year in the Colonial. There's a lot to be excited about with with him, Rod. What do you think? I, um, what I think is that, how's this for what I think? <laughs> I think Michigan State's entire season turns on how good Tyson Walker is. <laughs> I really do. Because if he's somehow not the answer, then I don't know where the answer comes from. Mm-hmm. Because again, I'm not you know maybe AJ Hogarth is the answer, but I'm a doubter there. I don't think they feel like they're ready to turn it over to Jay Bacons. And if you got a freshman who isn't an elite point guard, and you're asking him to be that, and I think Jaden's a great player, but I don't think he's an elite point guard yet. Um, and then on top of that, you don't have an Aaron Henry on this team that could maybe bail you out to some extent. Yeah. I don't know where they'd turn. So Tyson Walker to me easily, he might be the most important guy in the big 10 for at least in terms of determining one team's fortunes, one guy. I am very optimistic based on what I've seen from him at Northeastern, what I have heard about him, what the numbers say and what I've seen in brief glimpses that we've been able to see from practice. Uh-huh. You know, they had that open practice on a football Saturday. Uh, was it the Western? I think it was the Western Kentucky football game. Before yeah, I that. that. Yeah. Well, I just saw the clips of it. And they released some clips. 
he did things on some of those clips that Michigan State never came close to doing last year. He had one play. He got the ball on an outlet pass, made a three-quarter court diagonal pass to a streaking Max Christie for a layup Mm -hmm. in transition. They never did that last year. Cassius Winston did that kind of stuff, but they never did it last year. Um, I saw highlights of him in pick and roll where he made the right decisions, including when it was his time to take a shot and hit them. Um, Izzo has talked. It's, it's what's interesting to me about the tenor of his discussion, because he talks about this as if it's a race. And yet when I read the comments in detail, it's all about how great Tyson Walker is in all these areas. Mm-hmm. And I think to myself, and then again, based on what I believed, having seen some of him play last year, knowing what the statistics are, and then the little bit that I've seen with my own eyes from his time at Michigan State, I think, well, this can't be close. And I don't think it's going to be close. I think you want my two cents, and I could be proven dead wrong. But I think this is a race in the same way that the Michigan State football team's quarterback position was a race. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which at this stage, nobody believes, right? That that was ever true. <laughs> right. Because it's so obvious that the guy who's got the job was the right guy. Mm-hmm. You know, it might not go quite the same way. As I say, he could start Hogard because that's the kind of shit that Tom Izzo does occasionally. Yeah. He wants to keep Walker focused and humble, and it could all be related to that. But at some point, and I think it's going to come really early, this is going to be Tyson Walker's team. And how he goes is how Michigan State goes. We've been talking a lot so far about guys, there being reason to think that certain guys could improve. And I think almost all of that comes down to the fact that they could be playing with a real point guard who can make things happen now. Mm -hmm. Um, That is true for Joey Hauser in the pick and pop. He's going to get the ball in better position with better timing, and that will create better shot opportunities for him. It could help Marcus Bingham. It helped the whole team in terms of getting easy baskets at the rim. Something you and I spent a lot of time beating the drum on last season was points in the paint. Yeah. And it was a huge tell, right? It was pretty much down to the letter. When Michigan State was at least solid there, they won. And when they weren't, they didn't. It was a, it was the, the best tell on that team last year. You could look at that one number, and without seeing anything else, usually 90-some percent of the time be able to tell whether they won or lost. Mm-hmm. Um, unless Julius Marble becomes a 25-minute-a-night guy, I don't see the potential for this team to be massively improved in terms of post play. I guess Joey Hauser could be a lot better down there too. And Malik Hall. But I, I just don't, I don't see that answer. I don't see that Nick Ward. I don't see that Derek Nix. You know, I don't see that Draymond Green. I don't see that guy who's just going to take people to task on the blocks Mm -hmm. consistently. I think they can and will be better than they were last year, but they're not going to be great there, but that doesn't matter. Because the team, the last year and a half that Cassius Winston was on campus, they didn't have that. Mm -hmm. The moment Nick Ward got hurt and Xavier Tillman was elevated to the starting lineup, Michigan State got better, even though that element had been taken away. Why? Because via the pick and roll, Cassius Winston and Xavier Tillman primarily, but also some other guys, were able 
to get points at the rim using that play mm-hmm. as opposed to pure post-ups. It doesn't matter how you're getting it. If you're getting it, you know, teams that don't use any post play to speak of at all, not so much in the Big Ten, but you see it around the country. But they have, you know, maybe they play a four out one in and they, their guards are constantly doing that fullback dive to the rim shit. Yeah. You know, those are points in the paint. And even and and sometimes they're hidden because you might actually be getting that production from the free throw line, and it doesn't show up as points in the paint. But that's how you actually earned it was drawing fouls, right? Yeah. So, to me, that is a huge area of impact for Tyson Walker. And if you look at the stats via Synergy, which was a great job of breaking down effectiveness on particular types of plays. Now it's, it's not a hundred percent because there's always some subjectivity yeah. that goes into these things when you're, when you're deciding how to allocate a particular play to what type it was, but assume that it's, it's pretty, pretty solid information because it is Tyson Walker was a near elite pick and roll guard at Northeastern. He's got better weapons to work with now. Mm-hmm. So, that should be very, very encouraging. Part of the reason he's very good, besides being able to see the floor, to kind of instinctively make the right decision, this is something I was listening to um, the uh, one of the athletics podcasts um, with Brendan Quinn and and the kid that does the uh, UM Hoop site. And Brendan Quinn had seen some practice, and he talked about how the difference he saw was Hogard was capable of occasionally making the spectacular pass, but the biggest difference between he and Tyson Walker is Tyson Walker seems to always make the right decision. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what you want. Yeah, You don't need <laughs> flash. You want the guy who gets the ball where it needs to be every time around. And then add in the fact that he's a pretty good shooter. Now that 35% from three, Look, by last year's Michigan State standards at the position, you jump at it. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. But yeah. I, it'll be interesting to see how that translates. You know, I am always, to be fair, and this goes across the board for his game, it is fair to be suspicious about guys transferring up and how effective they are. You know, th- this used to be consistently you would see it. Mm-hmm. where a guy transfers up a level into the Big Ten as a grad transfer and the shooting percentage goes down, sometimes precipitously. Because at this level, you don't have as much time to get a shot off. The defensive reactions are better. Um, you're not getting as many clean looks, period, um, because the quality of defense and scouting is so much better. You know, All those things factor in. But then look at, I think the guy who was most responsible for Michigan winning the Big Ten championship last year was their transfer point guard, Mike Smith. Mm-hmm. Mike Smith got better as a deep shooter at Michigan, way better by percentage. And I think the reason was at Columbia, he had to carry their offense. So consequently, he had to force a lot of stuff because they needed him to score. At Michigan, he could be much more selective, and he was able to make that transition and he became a plus 40 guy. I think he had been low 30s. Mm-hmm. I want to say he improved by like 10% or more. Can Tyson Walker do something roughly similar? I don't know. It, it remains to be seen. I think Tyson Walker is a, clearly a better player overall than Mike Smith was. I think he's capable of doing more. 
but can he take can he at least maintain the kind of shooter he was at Northeastern? That's the first step. Mm-hmm. It remains to be seen. I don't I forgive anybody for being skeptical of that because I've largely been skeptical of guys with this profile, but I've heard things that have me encouraged. Let's put it that way. And the defensive player of the year, you would hope, travels to some degree. Now, I know it's, some it's, of that might be, you know, steals and, and yep, stuff like that yep. that he's probably not going to get at Michigan State like yep. he got at Northeastern. But You've hit on it. But but you know what's interesting? Izzo today was talking about how Walker gets his hands on more balls than anybody he's had in a long time. Yeah. That, I mean, Which – what I don't know, because I haven't seen enough of him, is I don't, and I don't think he's this. But you know, some guys have big steal numbers because they're constantly gambling. Yeah, and, and that shit does not fly at Michigan State. You would never see that. No. But if he's getting them because he's just disruptive, he's defensively solid, but he's his hands are quick. And he's able, you know, at the point of attack, he's able to knock balls away mm-hmm. or he's able to anticipate passes, make post-entry passes difficult, that kind of thing. Well, that's something else. Yeah. And and I get the sense it's the latter. Um, where I have my questions with him would be in – because Tyson Walker is not a big kid. He's like six six foot. They list him, I think, at a buck sixty, something like that. He's not big, and he has it. It's not like he's bulked up tremendously during his few months at East Lansing. That hasn't happened. So, when he's in matchups against bigger point guards, and there will be some of that in the Big Ten this year. I mean, when I think about the better teams, uh, well, I'll give you an example. So, one example of that would be um, at Indiana. They have a, as we talked about in our preview, they have a transfer from Pitt, Xavier Johnson, mm-hmm. um, who's 6'3", about 200 pounds. That's pretty big. You know, um, the kid at Michigan, their transfer, I think, is similar. Maybe 6'1", 6'2", but he's solid, big yeah. physically. How does Tyson Walker hang in there on those? It, it, in some ways, it matters less at the point because most of the time you're on the perimeter, but strength is not a non-factor there. It does matter in terms of your ability to contain penetration. Um, you know, if an opposing team happens to do things like the Bo Ryan Wisconsin teams to sort of invert their guards, and you know, we saw teams do that some against Foster Lawyer last year, right? where they would put guys in the post and just post yeah. them up. And I could see maybe uh, somebody like Mike Woodson doing something like that coming from the Maybe NBA. as a pro. Sure. Yeah. Right. So that's where I'm interested is can, can Tyson Walker, I'm, I'm buying the fact that he's able to be disruptive and I'm, I know that he's quick. So I'll buy the fact that I think he's going to be positionally solid at the same time. And he's not a gambler, mm-hmm. but that last element, I've just got to see. How is he able, and some guys are able to just make that a non-factor. Yeah. You know, um, can he be that? I, I think he's going to be good defensively, but I wonder if that's going to be a limitation, and we'll just have to see. Mm-hmm. And even maybe being able to get over screens and stuff like that. That too, too. absolutely. That's where strength, but you know, strength is part of that. But again, there are ways that you can cheat that by having good understanding yeah good ability to anticipate 
and good athleticism, quickness to help you get over that, that you can supplement. We've seen guys at Michigan State get better at that over time. Denzel Valentine's one that always sticks in my mind. Hmm. where he got notably better at being able to get over the top of screens, you know, and it wasn't that he suddenly got a lot, lot, lot more athletic. He just understood more. His basketball IQ enabled him to sort of cheat it a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, Tyson Walker, I think, can probably do the same things, but you're right to mention that is a big part of it, too, the question mark, at least. So I, I think, you know, honestly, I don't mean to be too dramatic about it, but to me, that is the number one area where you look at Michigan State and say it turns on that. And, and in saying that, I don't think Tyson Walker's got to be, hey, if he doesn't score 15 points tonight, Michigan State's dead. It's not really about that. Yeah. I can see, I, I, and I think he could score more than this, but I can see a path where he's a 10-point-a-night guy and he still made Michigan State a ton better. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, and then Max Christie, six seven McDonald's All American from suburban Chicago, um, has been phenomenal so far in practice. I mean, he's probably the the uh, maybe the high, most highly regarded recruit we've had since Jaron Jackson. Possibly. Yeah, that's that's no for sure. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Uh, a lot to like here. First McDonald's All American since Jaron, <clears throat> and Izzo has said. I mean, the things Izzo says about him are glowing. The things his teammates are saying about him are glowing. Um, Izzo says he's the best freshman in terms of ability to consistently impact things uh, since Gary Harris. Well, Gary Harris was a phenomenal freshman, if you remember. So that is a big statement. Uh, The things that I found really encouraging today is he said they thought he would have further to go in terms of strength and defense, and he's been very surprising to them positively in both areas. That's a big deal because those were my concerns. Mm-hmm. I have no concern about him offensively. He is a tremendous shooter. All The word on him is he's been great shooting the ball. They love the way he's running the lanes. In fact, Izzo talked today about the fact that he thinks with, and this is another thing we didn't, to go back to Tyson Walker for a second, we didn't dwell on i mentioned it in passing in reference to a, a single play i saw him make but Izzo wants to get the running game going again mm-hmm. it was not there last year and he thinks he's got the guys to do it and one of the things he said was he thinks that in christie and brown they've got guys who can get them back to that you know shannon and mo that was always kind of the standard since those guys were here right mm-hmm. for wayne's running the lane in transition so that's good to hear that he normally for freshmen, there can be time for reprogramming that they've got to learn. They think they know how to run the floor hard. They don't yet. Not Michigan state hard. And they got to yeah. learn it. It sounds like Max Christie has learned it. Izzo said, he's just, he's focused on getting better every day. He's extremely intelligent. So he's able to translate that work that he puts in onto the court hmm. And he says he's gotten better going to the rim. That's another thing. It was kind of a question mark. Okay, we know he can shoot. We know he can be a factor in transition. How is he in the half court scoring in other ways? Sounds like he's getting better there too. But to me, the most encouraging thing was to talk about his defense because that was my issue was, okay, of these freshmen, he was a guy that you had some question marks about at that end. 
can he be um, good enough that they can roll him out there for 28 minutes a night? And it sounds like they feel that he will be at that level. Mm-hmm. And at sick man, here's something else to think about. Michigan State, there have been a lot of years where we've kind of lamented the fact that the wing group was maybe a little bit smaller than you'd like. Well, yeah. your two starters are 6'8 and 6'7 mm-hmm. and long. I mean, Brown's got a 7'1 wingspan. I don't know what Christie's is, but that's some real length. So defensively, that even if those guys aren't perfect, their length could really help. Mm-hmm. What I like on the wing is with both Brown and Christie, and we did not see this except for maybe a, just a handful of times with Brown last year, uh, getting out on the break and getting the ball up real quick and then getting a wide open three. Yep. Because I, they're I, just absolutely. so far ahead. And with, when you got absolutely. Christie and Brown, one of yep. them can, can kind of poach that three-pointer out while the other one goes to the rim or vice yep. versa. That is dangerous there. Yes, and I think that's going to be a big part of what we see from this team this year. It's a really good point. Izzo mentioned in passing today that he thinks this could be the best shooting team he's had in a while. And I understand why he's saying that, because if you, you know, last year the numbers were not good. But part of that was he had a couple guys, you know, Rocket Watts taking a lot of shots and not hitting them. Yeah. Aaron Henry was never the strength of his game. Um, and then some other guys, I think, suffered because they weren't playing with within an offense that functions the way Michigan State offenses usually do. Mm-hmm. It's reasonable to expect Joey Hauser to be better than 34%. How much better? We'll see. But if you told me he shoots 40% for the year, I'm not going to fall out of my chair. I think it's possible. That's what he shot at Marquette. Yeah. Gabe Brown, we already know what he could do. Max Christie, we have huge expectations for him as a shooter. Even guys like Malik Hall, again, not playing with a perfect point guard situation, 36%. Marcus Bingham may give them something this year. Tyson Walker, if he could shoot even what he did at Northeastern, you could see why he says that. Mm-hmm. And I think you're right. What that could mean in terms of transition threes with this group, with two shooters like that on either side, that's a big deal potentially. Yeah. Uh, and then Jaden Akins. Another freshman, high expectations, um, super athletic, 6'4". Um, looks like, you know, maybe down the line could be the answer, uh, at least at backup point, maybe eventually the full point guard, but probably more like a wing this year. Yeah, I, I think that um, as as uh, you just mentioned, it's more likely that Michigan State is going to let him focus on playing off the ball. And there's some good reasons for that. Not, not least of which is that, you know, if Tyson Walker is what I think he is, you kind of got that position sorted. Mm. Um, you know, Akins is a guy that I think they had high expectations for, but he's been one that is always consistently talked about being better than they thought. And that's saying something because we're talking about, you know, a top 50, top 60, player um had kind of an interesting year he started last year playing for um ipsy prep the uh imani bates team and there was an incident that uh led to him departing and he surfaced at sunrise christian 
which was one of the better teams in the country last year. He played alongside uh, several guys who are going to be impact freshmen this year and more than held his own. The thing that was really impressive to me in watching him on television a few times with Sunrise and which reportedly has translated to Michigan State is that Jaden Akins, unlike the vast majority of freshmen, is ready to go defensively. I The things I have heard, I actually, and this is hard to believe with a freshman, but I think he may be a guy that's used to hold other people accountable, mm. which which you don't typically say. But he is he is built for it. You know, he's 6'3", 6'4". You know, one interesting thing is I thought coming out of high school he needed to add some strength, but they seem pretty happy with where he's at. It doesn't the, the stuff I've seen, it doesn't look obvious that he's gained a lot of bulk, but they feel pretty good about him strength wise. But then you add all that to just a superb athletic package. Mm-hmm. Um, if he were a point guard, which again I don't think he's gonna play a lot of this year, he may in the future. Um, Tom Izzo's never had one like him. He is much more like the guys you've seen occasionally at Kentucky. So I think yeah. about guys like Darren Fox as an yeah. example. There have been others. These guys that are longer point guards, but just explosive athletes. They play a downhill game offensively. Jade Nakins is capable of doing that. He is capable of getting the ball to the rim and finishing. I think he will give Michigan State some penetration ability on offense. Um, has been a steadily improving shooter, and as I always mentioned, they've liked the way he shot the ball in the preseason as well. But he, he made steady progress over his high school career. I remember seeing him after his freshman season at Farmington, and uh, he was not a very good shooter at that point. But by last year, he was pretty good, a uh, pretty reliable three-point shooter. And that seems to have continued on, to, as I say, to the preseason at Michigan State. I think he's going to see big minutes. Uh, probably not as a starter. You would think that's going to be Brown and Christie. But I think Jaden Aiken is going to play a lot, and I think he's going to be really good. Mm-hmm. Um, the question to me is how consistently does he shoot the ball from range? And, you know, I think he'll be pretty good, but that's an open question, I suppose. And can they get – playmaking out of him because I think it would be nice even if he's not on the ball exclusively to have that kind of second point guard out there and we've seen in Michigan State's recruiting they're very clearly re-emphasizing that you know that's something Tom Izzo has done in the past but when you look at what they're assembling right now he's got you know Tyson Walker technically with the COVID year could be a sophomore Mm-hmm. He's listed as a junior, but he could if, if he were to want to do that. So you got him as a sophomore, Hogart as a sophomore, Akins as a freshman, and then next year they're bringing in uh, Holman from uh, from Minnesota. That's a lot of guys who could play on the ball. But if you look at teams like Baylor and Gonzaga and others, um, that is certainly a path toward winning. It also helps if, like Jade Nakin, some of those guys – are big enough that they can play, they can defend wings. Uh-huh. Jaden Nakins can. Mm-hmm. So that's what makes him really valuable. But I'm I'm extremely bullish on his future. I mm-hmm. think he's got a chance to be a downhill player for them in transition that's kind of unique 
for Michigan State. They haven't had a lot of guys who have the complete package he's got. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Pierre Book Brooks, 6'6", six, six, uh, big-time winner in high school. Uh, got to campus a little bit later, though, than his classmates. What, what are you hearing about him? Better talk in recent, the last couple weeks. I think he got off to a slower start, probably in part because he was later. And it wasn't anything bad. It was, he had to finish up school. Yeah. Those other guys, their calendars lined up in a way that they had graduated earlier. Uh, that wasn't the case for, for Pierre. So he had, he was, it was late June, I think, by the time he got to campus. But better things from him, from, uh, from Izzo lately in terms of the comments he's made. Look, I, I love his potential. I love his future. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how much he plays this year, and I think that's going to come down first and foremost to the defensive end. We just got done talking about Jade Nakins, how that's what makes him likely to play a lot of minutes early, mm. is he's already there. I've known since Pierre Brooks committed that that was going to be the area he has to get better in. But I've said this many times. He's, it's not a perfect comparison by any means, but I really do think he's got some Denzel Valentine in him. I think he's actually a little better shooter than Denzel was at the same point in their development. I think he's not the spectacular passer Denzel was, but I think he sees the floor and and is an effective enough passer that he reminds me of that as well as a guy who's a bigger physical wing that you can still play basketball through. Uh-huh. You can run an offense through him at times. And his high school team did that all the time. Uh, he's a guy who I could see potentially being a small ball four. you know, physically he's got some similarities with Aaron Henry. He's got a you know, conditioning. He's got to get better. Um, you know, all of those things, but I love his tools and a very good rebounder. He's a guy who could help your wing rebounding by himself. I just I think it's it probably comes down to defense. And I'm I'm gonna call my shot here. I am going to predict that we don't see a lot of Pierre Brooks early, but as we get into February, we're seeing more of him. I'm not mm-hmm. saying he goes from zero to twenty, but I think he will be in this rotation at some point in the Big Ten season, like firmly in it. And I think that's because I think he'll show enough improvement defensively in terms of his condition to get there. Because I know what he can do in those other areas. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so then Jason Witten's um, addition through the portal, uh, 6'5", he transfers in as a walk-on um, from Western Michigan. Um, not a big-time scorer there. He averaged 5.4 points a game, 47 from the floor, only 12 from three and 89 from the line. Um, but he did hit 36% from three as a sophomore. So that may be yeah. a little bit of an anomaly. Um, you know, interesting path with him. He was a Class D state champion at a Powers North Central in the UP. And very rarely is Michigan State ever involved in guys at the Class D level. Mm. Uh, but they were with White. It's actually Whitens. Whitens. Oh, I'm um, sorry. Yeah. Uh, and... They were with him, but they were attempting to convince him to be a preferred walk-on. As we know, at Michigan State, that doesn't mean a lot because there have been a lot of guys who started out in that spot who ended up being multi-year scholarship players. Austin Thornton can tell him about that. He's on this staff. 
yep. uh, Kenny Goins, Timbo Gracco. So there have been lots of guys over time. Uh, he elected to take a scholarship to Western Michigan. You can't fault him for that. And he was a starter for most of the last two years. But with the portal, I think he saw an opportunity to be part of something bigger and elected to take the chance on coming to Michigan State. And and I think this was subtly a really nice addition. Um, the, the book on Whitens was, and the reason he started at Western, despite not huge offensive numbers, is he was somebody they thought was reliable defensively. Mm-hmm. And I think that's perfect for this team and perfect for Izzo. Izzo, I felt, we talked about it a lot here. I thought that in the portal, you know, they needed a point guard desperately. Well, they addressed that with Walker. We thought they might go for a big man, but then three of the four guys that they had at the five elected to come back. So that made that a non-starter. And then I thought they had a need for a wing and, you know, preferably a veteran, somebody, not necessarily somebody who would come in and demand huge minutes, but somebody who could be used to hold younger guys accountable, be reliable, you know, give them the things that a veteran typically gives you. And it went on for a while, and they didn't look like they weren't going to add anybody. And then they added White late. And it was unconventional, but I think he fits realistically the kind of mold of the guy that they needed to add. You're not looking for him to come in and play even 15, 20 minutes a game. It's not about that. But you want to have a guy that you could put into your rotation, feel comfortable with, that he's going to understand how to play D1 basketball, not make a lot of mistakes, and maybe be a positive in some ways, especially defensively. And I think he's got a chance to do that. You know, Izzo's not giving a lot away. He's talking about an eight-man rotation to start with, which – if you believe that, I got a bridge in Brooklyn for you. It's <laughs> not going to be eight man. It never is. Yeah. Um, but I'm be interested to see how this is a guess because we haven't seen Whiten's play and how quickly he's picked things up. But I suspect there's a reasonable chance that he could be a guy that Izzo does turn to for spot minutes here and there. Mm. And I'm not going to be surprised if he's in the rotation, especially if Pierre Brooks is struggling some. Um, you know, Izzo's talked about, obviously, Jaden Akins is going to play more on the wing, so that helps. Uh, he's talked about Malik Hall swinging down and playing some wing. Okay, I could see that potentially as an answer, but I just, I still think there's a need for somebody to pick up, you know, five minutes, six minutes, seven minutes. Yeah. Take a, take a turn and a half, you know? Um, and that, to me, early it might not be the worst thing in the world to put a bet on Whitens being the guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll see. But I, I do not rule out that he is in the rotation somewhere. I think it's foolish to do so. Yeah. Well, that pretty much covers it in terms of, of players that we realistically think are going to have any sort of significant Yeah, they, they also, it's worth, I didn't, I didn't prepare it, but it is also worth noting um, they did add uh, Michael Peterson as another transfer uh, walk-on from Ferris State. Ferris yeah. State, as people may know, very, very good Division II program. Uh, he was, In fact, he was on their national championship team as a freshman. He didn't play a lot, but he was on that team. 
he played a much bigger role the last couple of years. I think he's well by, you know, unless injuries really strike, he's probably not likely to be in the rotation, but they added him. They also announced today in Izzo's press conference that Davis Smith, Steve Smith's son, has been elevated to a scholarship for this year. Nice, um, okay. But don't, ex- don't expect him to, to see him play much. And, of course, they also have Steven Izzo. Um, yeah. uh, Jack Hoiberg has moved on to uh, – on a blank on what school in Texas he's in now, but he transferred out to get an opportunity at real playing time, so he's no longer around. But yeah, we, we've we've hit the guys that we think are most likely to actually see minutes. Mm-hmm. All right, Rod. So you got him fifth. Um, the offense was horrible last year. Ninety-eight uh, in Ken Palm. Um, the defense was bad for Michigan State in the you know low. Or, 48, I, I believe. What do you think, uh, in terms at least of, of offense, uh, what are you looking for this year to get some improvement here? I think there's a lot of ways that you can – you don't have to squint very hard to see how this team could be a lot better yeah. on offense. And, again, it, it all starts with Tyson Walker. Mm-hmm. It has to. Um, if he is as good as I think he will be – and, again, that doesn't mean I think he's going out and scoring 20 points a night although he might, but I think having a playmaker like him makes everything else better. It's that old cliche about a rising tide lifts all boats. Yeah. Well, a rising point guard lifts all teammates. And I think Michigan state will be vastly improved in pick and roll efficiency. I think they will shoot the ball better as a team in part because of some roster changes. You know, you, you swap out. You swap out Aaron Henry. You add Max Christie. You're probably going to improve in your shooting. Um, Jaden Akins probably will shoot better than Rocket Watts did. Um, you know, but but I also think Walker is going to make all these guys better. He's going to make Joey Hauser better. He's going to get Gabe Brown more looks. You know, um, so I think better in the pick and roll, better shooting, and I think they're going to be much better and much more frequently in transition so that to me i feel very very safe in assuming that this is going to be barring injuries this is going to be a better offensive team potentially vastly better Mm. uh and so then on defense um you would think that at least having a defense player of the year at your point guard is a good start um you know, that's where I have more questions. I think this team could be better. I can see a path to it, mm. but there's still unknowns. I think a big one is the quality of the quality of wing defense. You have lost an Aaron Henry. You have lost just an absolute stopper. And it wasn't even just wings. You could put him on anybody. Mm-hmm. And they did late in the year. That's what they were doing. Who's the hot man, the go-to man on the opposition? That's who Aaron Henry's guarding. And he, he got the better of those matchups a lot. Yep. And Langford um, was fairly re- it, the, reliable as well. There it is, exactly. And then they had another guy in Josh Langford who you could count on. Wasn't a lockdown defender, but he was reliable. Now you've got in Gabe Brown and Max Christie, well, there's reasons to be optimistic, but there's also reasons to be cautious about how much to expect. The good news there 
is they seem very excited about Jaden Akins as a reserve option. And then you mentioned it, Tyson Walker should be significantly better than what they had at the point last year, given how much Rocket Watts regressed. Mm-hmm. You know, Rocket Watts, in theory, was a very, very good defensive player because he was as a freshman. But in practice last year, he just wasn't very good. So they should be better there as well. Then you've got inside, you've got more questions. Can Marcus Bingham play enough to really impact games defensively? If he can play 20 minutes a night, Michigan State's going to be better on the interior defensively. Not a doubt in my mind. He will make them better just by being out there. At the four, I like Malik Hall. I've got questions about Joey Hauser. So, you know, this team was still a top 50 defense last year. That's not great by Michigan State standards. But it's not the train wreck that the offense was. Can they be better than that? I'm not as confident in that as I am about offensive improvement. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I think it's possible. But things have to break the right way. You know, you, I just mentioned several questions. Most of those have to go positively for them to be a lot better. Yeah. Now, now one thing that's worth mentioning is a emphasized in today's press conference he said that he felt where it was a real negative for them last year is that and where they lost a lot of their culture when it comes to defense and rebounding is they didn't have coaches in the weight room and it wasn't just a COVID thing they'd gotten away from that the last few years anyway he said they got back to that this year and he's been very happy with the results he feels like they had a great summer in terms of their physical development and the way that's translating to the court mm-hmm. in terms of strength and toughness. So that could help. You could see guys legitimately be better defensively that are back just by virtue of that. But right. we'll see. We'll see how much of it's talk and how much of it's real. And, and one of the, the stat uh, that's probably the most blasphemous uh, <laughs> toward <laughs> MSU fans, 91st in offensive rebounding percentage last year. Yeah. Just terrible. Just terrible. And and that can't happen again. And I think that's really what Izzo's getting at when he's talking about the weight room and getting you know, the culture back. Look, I, again, I can see a path toward it being better, but a lot of things have to break the right way. Marcus Bingham can be a factor there, too. We've seen it. Yeah. But he's got to play enough to be a factor, right? Um can Joey Hauser be better than he was last year? Can Malik Hall be better than he was? Absolutely. Can Gabe Brown? How good's Max Christie going to be? You know, these are all open questions. I, I'm less confident in their rebounding than I usually am for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean there's not a path to them being better. Yeah. Uh, you would think after a season like last year, they've got to be better just because Izzo's not going to just not going to allow it. Mm-hmm. But we, we have to see how these guys actually play on the court. It's very much a concern. That much I do know. They have to be better. Yeah. Uh, and the wing rebounding, I think, yeah. is where you could see the length of Brown and Christie maybe show up. Yep. Where it yep. just has and, not and been even, there. I even mean, Aaron the athleticism Henry did, but... of Akins, right? Yeah. Th- those are – and, you know, and that's – that's an area that if when I mentioned Pierre Brooks that I said, you know, I'm going to bet he's not playing a lot early, but I have this feeling that we're going to see more and more of him as the year goes on. 
And one area where I think he really could show up, if he's able to do enough other things well enough to earn his way onto the court, he is a very good rebounder. It's because he's got the same reasons Denzel Valentine was. He's got, you know, some bulk to him. He could take up space. He's very strong. And he's got high-level basketball IQ. This gets into the stuff I was talking about earlier that you can't teach in terms of reaction time and being able to sense where the ball's going to go. Mm. Um, Pierre Brooks has those elements, in my opinion. I've seen evidence of it. And I think he could be maybe a guy who helps in that area of the game. And if it's enough of an issue, then maybe it's what enables him to get his way onto the court earlier. You know? Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I guess I'll, I'll I'll leave you with this final question, Rod. Uh, last year, we had two very obvious questions coming into the season: point guard and the four. Uh, well, or the five. I'm sorry. What in terms of positions? What what's your biggest question mark coming into this year? Well, they're the same. <laughs> but, <laughs> well, but yeah, yeah, I guess so. I think we felt optimistic about. Uh, especially about the point, you know, because I think we had seen enough from Rocket Watts that I know I thought, okay, I wasn't convinced by him at this position in high school, but he showed me enough flashes last year and they've done it with guys that are at least remotely like him in the past. I think they'll be okay. Mm -hmm. And I also felt like they had Aaron Henry to help. Well, that ended up being what saved them, but not before they went through a lot of pain. Yeah. Um, I feel good about this team. I think Tyson Walker is legit. I really do. Um, Izzo's also spent a lot of time talking about running offense through Joey Hauser and Malik Call at the four. Um, That was another area where Hauser, at least, was very disappointing last year. He had come in with a reputation. I mean, Izzo was tossing around Draymond Green references, and he never looked comfortable to me. If that's true, and those guys are better, and that's going to help, too, because that'll take more of the load. I also happen to think that what I've – and we haven't seen Max Christie play a live game in college yet, mm-hmm. but what I saw and understood about him in high school, I think he's actually pretty good in that respect as well. You're not going to play him at the point, but I think Max Christie can help mm-hmm. as a playmaker, as a guy to kind of settle things down. So it's not all going to be riding on Tyson Walker. And then there's the possibility that Hogarth is legitimately much improved and can help there as well. I can't write that off. I don't expect it, but it could happen. Um, so I think they're going to be much, much better there. I'm convinced of that. But if they're not, hey, they're going to struggle. Mm-hmm. At the five, I think we really didn't know what to expect last year and what we got was a revolving door of inconsistency until <laughs> the end of the season. Yeah. And then Marcus Bingham, and that's why I feel more confident there as well, because I think we saw signs that Marcus Bingham could be at least a big part of the answer there. I think they'll be better at the five. I don't know how much. Is it enough to make a big difference or a little difference? We'll see. Yeah. Yeah, I think that the... the uh four is going to be a really interesting spot with, with I agree. Malik Hall kind of with another year under his belt. That That's going to be an interesting one. They're, they're... It, it, it is because you've got, you've got two things there. You got Malik Hall who shows, as I mentioned, shows the potential to really be a complete player, but he hasn't 
imposed himself on games enough to where you're confident saying, hey, this is a guy who's going to go get us 11 and 6 every yeah, game. Yeah, yeah. You haven't seen that. And then in Joey Hauser, if you if you told me right now, hey, come March, Joey Hauser is going to have given this team 15 and 7. I, would you be shocked? No. I wouldn't. No. He has that potential, and I think he's going to be much better than what we saw offensively because he's playing with a real point guard now. But the question with him is, can he be better enough as a defender for that to matter a lot, or does it matter a little? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think it's going to be fascinating as well. There's a lot of, look, as I said at the outset, I've got them fifth because I think more of these questions we're talking about are going to be answered positively than negatively. But I can understand someone looking at this team and saying, eh, seventh looks about right to me. I get it. It's they are they are not because and Izzo alluded to this today. There are not very there's not very much in the way of proven definitive answers. You do not have a Cassius Winston, a Xavier Tillman coming back. You don't really even have an Aaron Henry coming back. Mm-hmm. You know, you know J- Joey Hauser is, I believe, is the leading returning scorer and rebounder. And we're talking about him, I think, correctly as a guy who had a disappointing year. Yeah. So what does that tell you? You know, you don't have much in the way of locked in, hey, we know we're getting X, Y, and Z from this guy. So it's legitimate to question them, but I think there's reason to be optimistic. And at the top of the list of the reasons to be optimistic is the guy running the program. And he seems legitimately excited about this team. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, anything, any final thoughts? Um, going to be a tough non-conference. I think people need to be prepared to take some hits. Uh, yeah. You start with Kansas, who's a top five, and has got it brought in a lot of transfers. Um, there's talent there, clearly. Uh, they bring back some good players as well. Um, you know, uh Big East, uh, the Gavit games, they travel to Butler, play mm-hmm. at Hinkle. Butler should be solid and on the road. That's never going to be easy. Uh, they have Louisville in the ACC Big Ten Challenge at Brez. Louisville's kind of a program in crisis. I, I don't know what – there's talent there, but I don't know what to expect from them. And then in the tournament they're playing in, in the Bahamas, you, know, you start off with Loyola. And we've talked about the Drew Valentine angle on that, yeah. As their new head coach, but that's a team, you know, that's a that's a team that went deep and returns a bunch of guys, and they lost their best player, uh, Krutwig, their their big man, but they had a lot of other guys back, and they expect to be really really good, especially on defense. So you start with that, and then there's a bunch of other teams in that tournament. Yeah, Baylor. So there, there's yeah. some big ones. Yeah. Yeah, so it's it's going to be tough in the non-conference. This team is not getting an easy ride in the Big Ten play. But, you know, I, I feel optimistic about this group. I think they're going to do some good things. You know, I, I've said, maybe the last thought, you know, I spent a lot of time talking about Tyson Walker, and I do believe he's the most important guy. But I would say this. I think Max Christie is going to be a star. And I don't mean a year from now. I mean now. I think I think Max Christie is going to lead this team in scoring, which we didn't talk about. He'd be my pick. 
And I think he's going to give this team an element as an offensive player that the program hasn't had in a while. Yeah. You know, I mean, Cassius Winston was obviously a tremendous, tremendous player, but he's a different kind of guy. Max Christie is a bucket getter, full stop. And I, at his size and with his skill set, I don't see a lot of reason to think that other people are going to be able to do a very good job at stopping him. Mm. So I think that's going to give, and, I, and, and when I look at some of the national coverage of Michigan State, such as it is, I get the feeling that's an element that, that a lot of those guys haven't fully grasped. And, and part of the reason is you got to remember, Max Christie played for an Under Armour affiliated AAU team, which is the distant third of the shoe company circuits in the summer. Mm. So I don't feel that a lot of these guys saw him as much as they saw some other players. Now, Max Christie was a McDonald's All-American. He was highly rated, all that. But I actually think he might still be a little underrated, believe it or not. Mm. I, I think he's... In fact, if you get, and, I, and I, this may sound like homerism, but honestly, based on what I know and, and the bits that I've seen, if you gave me a choice right now between Max Christie or the kid at Michigan, Houston, who was rated ahead of him, I would take Max Christie, not even a moment's hesitation. I think he's, I think he's going to be a big-time scorer immediately, which is part of what this team needs. Mm. We've been talking about it, right? They need offense. Well, I think Max Christie is a guy that will get you baskets. If he is, as I expect, playing alongside a really good point guard, he's going to be even better. Yeah, yeah. And that should open up things a little bit for Hauser. For everybody I, else. Yeah. yeah. How, that's, so a, look at, that's the thing about Hauser. It just seemed like he was in bad positions too often. Uh, yes, yes. And I think it was, you know, that all starts with how the offense is being orchestrated. And then I think at times he felt pressure to try to make things happen himself. Yeah. And that's not him. I think if, if we had, if he had gotten eligibility the way he should have the year prior, and he had played that year with Ashes Winston, we'd be talking about it. We probably wouldn't be talking about Joey Hauser being around anymore, to be quite honest. Mm -hmm. Um, Or possibly we wouldn't, but in any event, we'd be talking about a completely different situation. So if, if we are, if our belief is accurate that we're now back to good point guard play alongside him, then how much better is he going to be? Maybe a lot. We don't know. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll leave it at that for now. Uh, Until next time, the final four is not on the schedule. All right. Plays. It'll be spot minutes. Just keep in mind, Purdue under Painter is not like Michigan State under Izzo. You know, the Purdue doesn't run. Mm-hmm. So they don't need to expand the playing group as a matter of necessity the way Michigan State does because guys generally are able to play bigger bigger amounts of minutes, yeah. larger amounts of minutes, um, because they're not expending all that energy running the floor. So it's a little different equation if you're the sixth guy in the perimeter group at Purdue than it is at a place like Michigan State. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for newcomers, uh, Purdue's not attempting the transfer portal. Uh, I think this is the this is the only team in the Big Ten that has not. You're right. 
I think you're right. Tested the the portal. They got they lost three. One, they lost one guy and they didn't add anybody, but they didn't have to. Yeah. While they had coming back, and then this is a really good class. Yep. They got three true freshmen coming in. Trey Kaufman, Wren, six uh, nine product of Indiana. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> see, this is going to be really interesting to me because we've talked about Purdue having a lot of guys, right? So Mason Gillis looks pretty obvious at the four. Um, we've got the two-headed monster at the five. And now you talk about Kaufman Wren, who was a consensus top 50 recruit. They beat out IU, Louisville, Virginia, UNC. You see where I'm going. This is a guy with a real pedigree, and, and people think he's legit. He's 6'9", 220. They think he could even play on the wing. So maybe instead of Ethan Morton eating up a few minutes a game on the wing, it's Kaufman Wren. Um, but, yeah, they, they, they like his talent level. I mean, they think in time he can be a really, really good player offensively for them. I think primarily his role will be backing up uh, Mason Gillis. Mm. at the four that's where i would see most of his minutes coming from and who knows he's talented enough that you know maybe he even pushes him out of the way i i don't think that happens because um mostly because painter is a guy who seems to really like the hierarchy of guys developing yeah. earning and, and so gillis has done enough being in the program for two years that you and he played well last year so you would think he holds on to it, but Coffin Wren is, is supposed to be the real thing. Mm-hmm. He, he's one of the best recruits on paper from a rankings perspective that uh, Painter's ever got. He's he's in the top five, I think. Wow. For sure. Uh, and then Caleb First, uh, 6'10", 230. He was a teammate of Ivy's on the, uh, the World Cup gold medal team under 19. <laughs> And here's another, you know, they, the MSU was in on him heavy. They wanted Caleb first, and Purdue beat him out, you know, point blank. I think that the two schools have had a lot of hotly contested recruitments over the time that Painter's been there. You know, you can go back to the Gary Harris recruitment, uh, which Michigan State won. Michigan State won a lot of them early. B.J. Dawson, they beat Purdue for. Um, there may maybe been a handful of others. I'm, I'm sure I'm forgetting who have been offered. Malik Hall was a recent one, mm. uh, that Michigan state won out, but Purdue's gotten a couple of their own, right? Um, Caleb Swanigan, obviously yeah. was a big one, a weird one, but a big one. Um, they could claim Trevion Williams. I, I know a little better, but okay. <laughs> but that's turned out very well for them. Don't get me wrong. Um, and, and now this one, you know, I think there was a point that Michigan State really felt good about Caleb first, and then Purdue kept him at home in Indiana. Lots of potential, highly regarded guy. He's got good size, 6'10", 230. He's got skill. One thing you have to like if you're a Purdue fan is he's got more mobility than a lot of guys. You know, Purdue's had these gigantic you know, statue kind of guys yeah. at the five. Caleb first can actually move his feet a little bit. So you got a chance that he could be more versatile defensively. Um, he's got a lot of ability, but where do you play him? I don't, I don't see it. You know, I mean, Trevion Williams and Zach Eady have to eat up 40 minutes at the five. They have to. 
okay. So he said, well, okay, the first can move, and he's got some ball skills. Maybe he can play some four. Well, you got Mason Gillis coming back as a starter, and you got a classmate in Kaufman Wren who's even more highly regarded than, than uh, Thursdays. So where does he play? I think this may be a case of a guy who's a very, you know, top 75 recruit for sure, um, very highly regarded, who they just don't have room for. So he may not play very much this year. That should not be an indictment of him as a player. I would expect that starting as a sophomore, he takes on a significant role. Just because, you know, this year with this much talent, this much experience, this much depth, I just don't see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then the last guy that got Brian Waddle, six, seven native of Indiana with a little bit of a history behind him, uh, with the, with the Boilermakers. Yeah. His dad, Matt Waddell, I'm sure a lot of people listening to this, our, our older set, which includes me, um, remembers Matt Waddell was a, he was a teammate of Matt Painters for a while. Actually, he was a Early mid '90s guy played on uh, some great Purdue teams in the Big Dog Robinson era, which was the <laughs> one, the one point that um, well, one of the few points that uh, Gene Cady actually almost had a breakthrough to a Final Four. Um, his dad was a point guard. Brian Waddell isn't, but six uh, seven, he's an athletic wing. They offered him late, even though he was a legacy. They waited until spring of his senior year. He had a really good senior year, I believe, at Carmel High School there. And um, Purdue elected to offer, and he committed in the spring. And it's already been predetermined that he's going to redshirt. And, you know, with this much depth, obviously, there's zero reason to play him. Mm. Um, and and no, real, no real opportunity, I think, for him to see a role. But, um, you know... In the future, he may be a guy who, who proves to be able to help him. Yep. Well, Rod, uh, Purdue, I, I, it pains me to say this, but it does remind me a little bit of the Wisconsin team from last year. But I don't, I don't think that's going to happen with this team. Um, well, you would, you would think not. Um, and and the, the reason you would think not is, first and foremost, I've got no indication that there's any discord with their coach. Now we didn't really know that was there with guard until it came out. But, um, you know, I, I, you're right, but I I like this team better than that Wisconsin team. Mm -hmm. I think, look, if Matt painter is going to get to a final four, this, this might be about as good a shot as you could expect that he'll have mm. because they really do have a bit of everything. I mean, yeah, there are areas they could improve. They could, they could shoot the ball a little bit better from deep. Um, they could maybe be a little bit more consistent defensively, although they were still pretty damn good as they usually are. Uh, they could maybe value the ball a little bit better than they did at times, but I- I'm nitpicking. I mean, yeah. it, it, the, really, the thing that puts it over the top to me is the summers that Ivy and Edie had. If they truly are coming back as improved as it seems that they are, mm-hmm. then how can you not look at this team as the best the best group in the Big Ten coming in? You know, there's just so much depth, size, experience, talent, and young talent with room to get a lot better, which is maybe the thing Wisconsin didn't have. Yeah but I think Purdue does. Yeah. Um, 
they're the, they're the, they're the favorites to me pretty clearly with as many questions as Michigan and other teams have. I, I just don't see how you pick it any other way. Yeah. I, I like it. I think you're right on with this, uh, Purdue pick. Um, you lose one guy. <laughs> I mean, man, yeah, who wasn't very good in a strong Big Ten last year, and and they wound up by you know by the end of the season they looked like one of the best teams in the Big Ten coming into the tournament. They were, yeah. they were, yeah. So I, yeah, I, I, I'm with you there. Uh, so any uh, teasers for Michigan State? Uh, that'll be our uh, our last preview of the preseason. Well, I I think. Um... Obviously, picking them fifth, um, that would suggest improvement. And I do think they're going to be better. I think there's reason for optimism. There are also legitimate questions. And could they finish lower than that? Yes. Could they finish higher than that? Yes. Uh, a lot, a lot, lot, lot is going to be dependent upon that point guard position. Mm. Because that's what held that team back last year. And that's where I think they have reason to believe they're going to be a lot better. And, and that, that really is in the, the person of Tyson Walker primarily mm-hmm. their grad, their transfer from Northeastern. Um, if he's as good as advertised and as good as he's looked in some of the viewings and some of the things I hear about practice, I feel pretty confident that they're going to be significantly better at the point. If that's the case, then the whole thing is better, uh-huh. but it's look, this is a very, we've just gotten done talking about all 13 other teams. This is a very deep big 10. Again, a lot of talent, a lot of experience, good coaching. It's never easy, but I think it, I think it could be a fun team mm. in Michigan state and we'll see what happens. Okay. Well, we'll end that, uh, today with Purdue and next up will be Michigan state until then. The Final Four is not on the schedule. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.